welcome to another edition of Outside is Overrated. This is episode 7, the Super Nintendo Entertainment System Classic Edition. That's a pretty catchy title. Clearly, I'm in marketing. It's going to be a fun show. We're going to have two main topics today. We're going to talk a little bit of Nintendo versus Sega back in the day, as it doesn't feel like much of a competition these days. And then we're also going to talk about the SNES Classic. My co-host Brian got his hands on them. Brian, welcome back to the show. Hi, thank you. Last time we had a talk on Metal Gear Solid, and I had a blast. So I was looking forward to this for a while. So Yeah, that was roughly a year or so ago. Huh? I managed to edit that podcast and record one more. Getting better all the time. Yeah, I had thought that these were going to be coming out every other week. And it uh, turns out it's about, you know, seven months in between. But, <laughs> you know, I'm a busy guy. What are you going to do? So, Brian, what are you doing here today? What have you been doing since the last time we recorded? Oh, my God. Um, okay, so, since the last time we recorded, um, playing a lot of different things. Uh, lately, the we just finished Chrono Trigger as our, our game of the month with the group. Um, and, I, and I had never played Chrono Trigger prior. I know that, that was a big one for everybody on the Super Nintendo, and it turns out it's a pretty pretty unique game with how much they were able to put for a Super Nintendo title into multiple storylines, into just a lot of different kinds of features to a game that you would see played on later on. Also playing right now Horizon Zero Dawn, and that has been super, super, super fun. And I kind of got a little bit of uh, overshadowed because it was released at the same time Breath of the Wild came out, and Breath of the Wild kind of sucked up quite a bit of my time as well, but I would... I would say if you have not played Horizon Zero Dawn, it is, it's one of the best games to come on in a number of years. I want you to keep both of those games in mind as we come back full circle at the end of this conversation after our discussion on the classic. Because I'm going to want to compare the nostalgia factor of old games and classic systems versus the technology and prowess that's on display today. So stay tuned for that. I thought it might be interesting to talk a little bit about our own personal console history since we're talking about the Super Nintendo Classic here. Now, I was never a Nintendo guy until the Wii came out. That was the first Nintendo console that I actually owned. For me, I owned a Sega Genesis, and I jumped from there to Nintendo 64, so I just contradicted myself completely. But I only owned half a 64, so, you know. So you're wearing a, you're wearing a Legend of Zelda shirt now, so this is you're a fraud. You never even played that game. I played it, I beat it when I was 34 years old. Hey! I had played it at the neighbor's house, and I put some time into it when I was younger, but I, you know, I never actually beat it until just a couple of years ago. Very cool. Uh, then I, since the PlayStation 1, I've had pretty much every console except for the original Xbox, and I haven't picked up a Switch yet, but it's just a matter of time. I'm just waiting for wife approval mm-hmm. as I look over my shoulder to see if she's within earshot. How about you, Brian? What's your history? First system was original Nintendo, so I had an NES, there's a little bit of memory of playing a little bit of Atari, but as we all kind of, well, if you know the history of video games a little bit, Atari had a kind of a goofy period where uh, they were releasing multiple systems at a time, and it wound up kind of bankrupting the video game uh, industry itself. Nintendo kind of came along as a savior, so I, I got an original NES, and I remember playing a lot with my cousins. We played original Mario. Did you have one of the ones with the robot, or just the console? Just the console, but it it was kind of a love-hate relationship because I'd like I play with my cousins and my cousin Nate specifically, and as a first player in Mario, you could hit pause. So you'd be playing, and I'm Luigi because I I'm younger and I can't play first player, and so I, you jump over a hole. He hits pause. He unpauses. You go right down the damn hole. Oh, looks like it's my turn again. And it's just <laughs> kind of awesome. bullshit. Yeah. Uh, the good news is he kind so of... So you're saying your personality started to form at a young age maybe, from the people around you. Maybe. He's more of a troll than me, but he did help me out. He, he campaigned to his parents, and they were actually the ones that bought our first NES. So that was a gift from my aunt and uncle. 
And I grew up a lot watching my older sister, Abby, play. Abby's five years older than me. She beat Mario 1. She beat Contra. She beat all of these games. And as a kid, I would just sit and watch her go. And she was she was really good. So it was funny when I got to college. That's like 2001. And like a lot of people have never seen someone beat Mario 1. Never seen it. I, my older sister, Abby, was doing that when I was like 10. Or, well, really, at that time, I was probably only 8. So uh, NES was the first system I had. I played a Super Nintendo, our mutual friend Jason, uh, he had a Sega, so I got introduced to that. And then from Super Nintendo, I went to 64, PS2, and then pretty much everything from there on out. I only buy the Xbox series purely for Gears of War, otherwise I have no interest really in owning one. But PS4 and Switch right now are my two main. Gotcha. So you're more of a Nintendo guy, I'm more of a Sega guy, so I think we'll have a couple of interesting perspectives as we leap into the next part of our conversation. Before we get there, though... I just want to plug a couple of things. If you would like to connect with the show, you can email us at overratedpod at gmail.com. That's overrated. There's two R's in there. O-V-E-R-R-A-T-E-D at gmail.com. You can also connect with me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Tom underscore underscore awesome. That's two underscores. Or you can follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash outside is overrated. Brian, do you have anywhere that people can connect with you online? Absolutely not. (laughs) And I'm aware of that, but I still like to bring it up. I do not exist outside of this podcast. <laughs> it's interesting. I've had four different co-hosts here, and none of them use social media in any form, or at least any form that they would cop to you in such a public format. You're the personality, baby. Yeah, huh? I'm the heart and the soul and the brain and the balls and the... Disappointment, the poor jokes, the overall terrible hygiene. Yeah, you, there's a lot of titles on you. How did you know I didn't shower before this podcast today? Just because you came from work and you look all professional mm-hmm. and all buttoned up and I'm, you know, sitting here in pajama pants and my Zelda shirt. Tom, you look good. You look, you're what's called business casual. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> After a brief fit with the giggles, we're ready to move on with the show. We are going to launch into a discussion about Nintendo versus Sega, specifically back to the Nintendo Entertainment System versus the Sega Genesis. Now, for me, I... As I mentioned, I was a Sega guy. I bought my first Sega with my own money. Uh, so I've always had a big affinity for the system. Do you remember how much it was at the time? It was like 100 It was, I think, $120. I got oh, it at Sam's Club. It came bundled with two controllers and two games. So pretty sweet deal for, gosh, I must have been about a 12-year-old at the time. Okay. It's funny how when you even look at inflation, game system consoles are, are traditionally still coming out. That $200 price point between somewhere between 150 and 200 is still consistent. You still see it. What I think is more impressive is that games are the same price. Like I saw a study yeah. in Game Informer some time ago, but they looked at the price of new Nintendo Entertainment System games versus Super Nintendo games versus PlayStation 1 games, PlayStation 2. They generally stick right around that $60 mark. I remember them. Mario 3 being 70 bucks. Just incredible. Yeah, that's pretty wild. It's amazing that the price of games has stayed consistent over time. As we have this discussion, I want to plug a book that I read relatively recently. It's called Console Wars by Blake J. Harris. It takes a look at how Sega took on Nintendo, specifically the Super Nintendo, to take a big bite out of their market share at a time when Nintendo was the only game in town. It's a little businessy, and there's a huge cast of characters in it, but it, as a Sega guy, I thought it was fascinating to read about how they moved in on Nintendo's territory, and they had a brief conversation about the downward spiral afterwards. And that for Sega particularly, too, did you know anybody growing up with the Master System? Like, anybody? Not a soul. We're from a small town uh, in Minnesota, and I don't know a single soul that had the Master System. I didn't even know it existed until I got to college. It was either Nintendo or nothing, and then it was Super versus Genesis, and that's where it kind of got more rowdy. Indeed, the Master System. Sega CD, 32X. 
Today I made some questionable decisions. And we talked a little bit about our console history, but I also want to talk about the first games that we ever had. My Sega came packaged with two games. It came, of course, with Sonic the Hedgehog. Mm -hmm. You know, the must-have for all Sega Genesis owners. But it also came packaged with Evander Holyfield's Real Deal Boxing. I think I remember that. It was surprisingly fun. Like, I've never been a fan of boxing, and mm -hmm. I played a little Punch-Out on the Nintendo, and that was fine. But this was, it tried to be a more hardcore boxing game. And it was really, really interesting. It had a career mode, so you create your boxer, and after every match you do some training, so your stats go up, and you try to become champion. I had leveling? It did. <laughs> if you lost, you got to pick two things that level up. But if you won, you got to pick three things. So mm -hmm. there was much bigger benefit to winning besides just climbing up the ladder. I popped it in last night. I was doing some homework for this podcast, and it was not quite unplayable, but it was not fun. Yeah, like we've, we've discussed a little bit, there is some nostalgia factor when we look back on some things. As we kind of talked about off mic, good gameplay and good... Uh, a lot of a good art design, it lasts. It, it does. But there are certain things that you go back to, and it, it's like, how in God's name did I put so many hours into this as a kid? It's like, it doesn't make sense. And it was, was it because we were kids and our tastes were simpler, or was it because that was the only game in town? It's That's either it, I think. Only feels real deal boxing or nothing. Yeah, it's, and the amount of time that we had, because when you look at particularly old Nintendo games, it's it's a type of gameplay that pisses me off now where you die based because you didn't know what was coming up next due to the layout of the level. Yeah, we will definitely get into that when we're talking about the classic. Oh, God. So last night I popped in Evander Holyfield's Real Deal Boxing for the first time in probably 20 years. Boy, that's kind of a scary thought. do. I was champion, so I jumped right back into my career and I faced <laughs> a guy with maxed out stats and he just kicked my ass. And I found out... There's three buttons on the Sega Genesis controller, A, B, and C. And the A button controls your left arm, the C button controls the right arm, and the B button is blocking. Well, my A button didn't work particularly Ooh. well. And that's also <laughs> the button you use to get up when you get knocked down. So I got knocked down once, and I got knocked out, and I was pissed. And so poor Phoenix, my lovely wife, she was hanging out with me while I was playing. She fell asleep while I was getting my vengeance on this game. Like, I had to dive back into it. I had to do more fights. I had to get my championship back. I had to build my stats. And I wound up spending about 45 minutes on a game that I frankly was not enjoying. All Dude, your much. pride? Yeah. Had a boy. I was going to show those bastards who their champion was. Insecure all the way to the belt. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least I ruined the experience for everyone else in the experience. Or in the moment. Please tell me that you're playing on your same save file. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, so my perfect record for Tom Awesome on the Sega Genesis is now tainted. He fell to 11-1 and one before oh. him back up to 15-1. Oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, hard times. So when we're kids, games were a lot harder to come by. Like, now we're adults. We have jobs. If you know, if we want a game, we want Zelda. We just go on and we buy it. So it's not that big a thing. So I thought... You download it. And, or you download it. And so I thought it might be interesting to have a little discussion about how we used to acquire games as a kid. Well, you and I come from a place called Mora, Minnesota, and Mora, and we could rent some games as a kid. Main Attractions was downtown, which was a video store. Rentals, oh my yeah. god, I forgot about, like, you can rent, you can still rent box games, so you can still rent games, or I'm fond of going to the library, but the concept of a rental store, where all they did was mm -hmm. rent movies and games. Yep, walk up and down the aisles, and you're pretty much, because there, there really wasn't any information at that time, you're banking on box art, you're like, okay... This looks pretty sweet here. And then sometimes you get the game home and you realize you made a terrible decision. Or you asked your mom if she would bring home Legend of Zelda and she brought you Bugs Bunny's Mad Castle, which happened to me. That's, and I had that's a, awful. It was a two-day rental. Childhood. I had to play that piece of shit for like two days. And it was a <laughs> terrible game. But like, of all the selections, she thought that would be the one that would be best instead of Zelda. 
That's interesting. It sounds like your family was a little bit more supportive of games yeah. than mine was. Like, my mom was not a fan of video games in any way, shape, or form. My dad did not give an F about it. So, like, for me, getting games, there were no rentals. Like, unless I got on my bike, rode to town, spent my allowance, and went to main attractions on my own, uh, that was the only rental opportunity I had. I we basically buy either, could we? Not, no, we couldn't. Well, oh. interesting. I'm not. I don't remember what the restrictions are because the ERSB came in to the picture a little bit later. I'm was, just, I'm just thinking about location wise. There, I don't think there was anywhere in our town uh, to even purchase something had we wanted you to. Could from Steve's World, but you paid a premium. Oh yeah, you did buying from Steve. Uh, so for me, I got basically one game a year on Christmas. Sometimes on my birthday, I remember that I got really good at figuring out which box was the Sega game because my mom wouldn't try to disguise it at all. But I'm like a detective with my presents. Like, I love trying to figure them out ahead of time. And generally, on Christmas Eve, we'd get to open one present early, and I'd always find the Sega game. And it'd frustrate my mom no end, but... What was your favorite? Do you remember? NHL 95. That was it right there? Yeah, that was it. That had blood, didn't it? You knock a guy down, there's like blood in the ice? No, I think they took the blood out. The earlier versions had blood, and you'd see maybe a broken leg or something. Oh, nice. Um, but it was... The only hockey season I've ever completed from beginning to end was on that game. I played through like three of them with the Colorado Avalanche. Oh, that's awesome. That's <laughs> good times. The very first games I remember getting are Arch Rivals, which was this crazy basketball yeah. game where you could like punch people and have a guy with a mohawk. Mm-hmm. And there was some football game. It wasn't a licensed game. It wasn't Mutant League football. I can't remember what it was, but it had some kind of zany hook to it, too. Like okay. it was monsters playing football or something. Mutant League football? No, it definitely wasn't Mutant League. We're okay. not familiar with that brand. I know when it came to Arch Rivals, NBA Jam, the group that wound up producing NBA Jam and NBA Jam TE, which are two fantastic arcade basketball games, uh, they took a lot of their inspiration from Arch Rivals, they said, in that physical aspect of the game. And I have not thought about that game since, well, probably my childhood. I still remember the cover. Isn't that one guy like elbowing the other guy in the, te- in the mouth and teeth are coming out? Yep, and there's the old Mohawk guy. He was the big face of the yep. franchise. There you go. Black guy with a Mohawk. <laughs> <laughs> Bunch of damn racists. <laughs> well, I guess we could have played that as part of the prep for this show, but you know, uh, maybe next time. We I didn't know anybody outside that one time with the Sega. Like it's so interesting that you grew up getting to play that. I, I maybe got to play Road Rash, a little bit of NBA Jam, but other than that, it was Nintendo. Everybody I knew had a Nintendo. Nobody had a Sega. Yeah, Nobody. my neighbor had a Nintendo. Uh, my cousin had a Nintendo. I guess I didn't have. Until high school, I didn't have a big social network of people that were into video games, but I played a lot at the neighbor's house. No, they came out of the, the, the Super Nintendo and the Sega came out relatively near the same time. You know, Sega was a little bit before. What made you choose a Sega over a Nintendo at that time? Do you remember? I thought it was cool. That was it? Yeah, I think so. I can't remember why I wanted it over the Nintendo, maybe because I wanted to be different from my neighbors, but like I hadn't really played a Sega beforehand because as you just mentioned, that nobody had one. I can't remember if I went to, like, Funko Land and tried one out and mm-hmm. fell in love with it. Uh, but I remember comparison shopping. I knew the best deal was at Sam's Club, and uh, I got two games and two controllers, and so I just had to have it. How bunk was that when they come up with one controller and you have to buy that second one separate? I mean, that, they still do that with consoles. They still do that with consoles, yeah, that's true. Nothing's changed. Ugh. Now, it's, it's funny because when you, when you mentioned it was cooler, it's funny that you said it in that way because I remember specifically as the console wars for against Sega Genesis versus Super were kind of heating up, Sega's thing was like, we do what Nintendo don't. I remember them pushing that all, Nintendo, yeah. all the time. Edgy. I mean, we talked about earlier, the first Mortal Kombat game for Super Nintendo. Super Nintendo didn't have any blood. Suddenly, it, it was sweat. You'd hit a guy and sweat would come off. 
And Sega was willing to be a little bit more risque, and that's that's what they pushed hard. I remember them pushing their advertisements all the time. And it's kind of funny that you bring that up, because that Nintendon't campaign actually got one of their CEOs fired. Seriously? Seriously. It made the Japanese Sega of Japan very uncomfortable to be so directly confrontational mm-hmm. with the rival. And while they were competing for Nintendo's market share, in Japanese culture, at least at that time, it was not acceptable to belittle your rival for your own game. I think they're still like that. Americans were a lot more open to mudslinging, and in Japan, it's their 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 honor is above absolutely anything else, even in business. So I didn't know we got fired for it. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. That's kind of the purpose of the book that I was mentioning earlier, Console Wars. It follows the new CEO that follows the Nintendo guy. And how we built a marketing team and how they were aggressive with their marketing strategy. It's a whole bunch of marketing stuff, which is probably why it resonated with me. Mm. Uh, which is really interesting how they tried to push the envelope without upsetting Sega of Japan. And how it just kind of unraveled after the success of the Sega as they launched into the PlayStation and Nintendo 64 era. Interesting. And again, I mean, even if we look at Nintendo just a little bit, Nintendo and, and PlayStation almost had a deal. Sony was going to be creating that disk drive and, and things fell apart, but... Otherwise, we wouldn't have had our PlayStation. So it didn't just fall apart like Nintendo yanked the rug out yeah, from under that. It was it was wild. rude. So pretty fascinating stuff. I don't know. I can't think of anything else to bring up. Sega versus Nintendo. I mean, we could argue Mario versus Sonic until our there, faces go blue. There really isn't an argument, though. I mean, Mario holds the test of time pretty well. Sega, once you once Sonic honestly got away from two D platforms, he collapsed. I mean, there's a a laundry list of Sega games in a 3D world that are considered to be an absolute joke. And the best Sega Genesis Sonic game to come out is the one that was recently created by largely fans. Um, mm-hmm. And what they do is they're really emulating what was done on the original 16-bit stuff. So I don't think there is even a discussion. I think Sonic had speed, which was interesting. The blast processing, blast processing. <laughs> Just the piece out of a technical document that the marketing team latched on to. That was impressive. Just yeah. complete bullshit. But yeah, Mar- I mean, Mario is Mario's more recognizable than Mickey. So there you go. Yeah, it's pretty wild. And I played a little bit of Sonic last night to prepare for the show. And I, surprisingly, the speed still holds up. It still feels fast. It looks like it's fast. I, I was never a huge fan of the controls. And I know... It, well, they I, especially suck when you're playing with a kind of broken down controller yeah. from 30 years ago. But it's, it's it's jump and spin. So it's not like you need a ton. Yeah, all three buttons were jump. I'm like... What does A button mean? All right, what does B button What does C button mean? All right, well, shit, I guess we're going to jump over some stuff. There you go. There you go. Mario 1, 2, 3. I mean, we played all those growing up. I didn't... It was interesting. Uh, so they, they Doki Doki Panic is obviously the actual Mario Brothers 2 in Japan. And also, you're a Doki Doki Panic. That's... Yeah, like put you on the spot there. Now you're uncomfortable. Um, and uh my hand on your leg didn't do it but that there we go oh but that beard rubbing against my neck does it's interesting how we we didn't get a chance to even play the real mario 2 until the super nintendo era but i mean mario 1 2 and 3 and i didn't know that 2 sold so well and 3 is still considered by a lot to be the best nes game ever made so they kind of ended on a high point which is great but man that i remember getting my super nintendo and that was one of the best christmases ever i'm very jealous well, after a rousing discussion of Nintendo versus Sega, let's break down my top five Nintendo franchises of all time. It's time now for... The Final Countdown! Tom Awesome's Top 5 Countdown. Five, four, three, two, one...
Now, for me, putting together a top five Nintendo franchise is a little interesting because, again, I'm late to the party. Like, I haven't played a lot of iconic franchises. So, I'll run through my list. We don't have to spend a tremendous amount of time on it here. But I want you to jump in and talk about why I'm crazy and some notable omissions. So, I'll start number five, Super Smash Brothers. I, I would agree with that. I mean, that has to be in the top five. That is... <laughs> I, I can't even tell you how many hours I've wasted to that game. And it's funny because I just kind of put it in there because I don't know what else to do. Like, I've never been a big Pokemon guy. I've only mm-hmm. played one of those. And I've played a few Smash Brothers, and I like them, but I've never felt this huge affinity for it. Like, I know people get super-duper into it. Yep. Like, for me, it's fun as long as I'm playing not against someone too good, mm-hmm. like you. That kind of sucks all the joy out of the room for Thank me. Thank you. Thanks a lot for ruining everything. Me- Melee came out at the perfect time because Melee came out... Um, it was on the cube, correct? It was, and it was the fall of my freshman year of college. Perfect. So we put a ton of time into it. and With that stupid GD controller, like with the oh, I love different that thing. C buttons, and it's all I- sticking out all over the place. I'm doing stuff with my hands right now. Nobody can see it, but I'm Most ergonomic controller that's ever come out. I guarantee you that. And honestly, for Smash Brothers 4, I have an updated GameCube controller that I use for that game only and specifically. You're so, a weirdo. Bro. Yeah, if you come out to the house, it's sitting right in front of the TV. I'm fond of you, but you are a strange oh, man. Oh, man. The, that, that game came out, and there was an ice storm here in the state of Minnesota that March. And what wound up happening, some friends and I were supposed to go down south. And it closed down all the highways, shut down everything. We couldn't go anywhere for a week, and we were the last guys in the dorms. And we played that game for seven days straight, doing nothing but drinking Miller High Life. So that is some of the best memories of my college days. So thank if Dylan, if you're out there, Scott, if you're listening to this, thank you, boys. <laughs> That's a beautiful memory. Thank you for sharing. Number four on my list is Xenoblade series. Starting with Xenoblade Chronicles on the Wii, kind of an under-the-radar JRPG, which is still my arguably my favorite genre. I have the spiritual successor on the Wii U. I haven't busted it open yet, and I'm excited to eventually play one on the Switch. I've never touched this series. I've been a satellite of it with multiple friends, and they speak extremely highly of it. But this is one of the ones that it RPGs took a little bit later in my life to really do a deep dive on, and this actually is on the list. So I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more about it. It's on the uh, Nintendo Wii Shop for 20 bucks, I think. I highly recommend it if That's you can get it on the Switch. So it's a pretty deep game. It can be pretty long. There's positional stuff in battle. We talked a little bit earlier off mic about how annoying random battle systems are. I think you see all the enemies on the overmap here, so you choose whether or not to engage them. Gotcha. But really cool RPG series that I can't wait to play some more of. Number three on my list, tactical RPG series, Fire Emblem. <laughs> God. I love these games. I played a little bit of one of the GBA games on my original DS, and that was a lot of fun. I've been playing the, uh, I forget the reboot that they released a few years ago on the 3DS. Just a really fun series. I've always enjoyed tactical systems. I have some quibbles with the most recent version, but overall mm-hmm. I think it's a great series. Well, the reboot on the DS really was the cause of the resurgence for it, wasn't it? Yeah, and then they've released 32 in the last four years since. It's... It's this constant barrage of Fire Emblem games, and I like Fire Emblem, but slow your roll a little bit. So at one point, are we going to have a podcast where we talk about, like, Nintendo handhelds versus all the competition, like PSP, um, the Game Gear? Um, I like my Vita. I mean, there's no games on the Vita. <laughs> it's like, a beat system. I've been able to download all of the Final Fantasies so that PlayStation Vita is my portable Final Fantasy machine. Yeah, right. I have one through... Well, I haven't purchased them all yet, but I'm going to purchase one through, I think, ten all for mobile purposes. Are they so. still making games for the Vita? Like, real new games? I don't think so. Oh, um, man, that was a quick thing. I saw one 
uh, roughly six months or so in gaming form, and I thought, oh, a new game on the Vita, I should get that. But, I mean, as its own standalone thing, it's kind of a flop, which is a bummer because it's a good size, it's a good shape, it feels good, it's very crisp, but no games. Yeah, Nintendo steamrolls that particular sector for sure. Moving along, my I mean, my top two are going to be pretty predictable. Anyone could guess them. Number two, Mario. I, I don't think you can have any argument here. Uh, Mario Odyssey, as of right now, comes out in about two weeks, and that is a game that I'm looking forward to. Um, by the time you hear this, it's probably been out for six months, but, you know, I'm a busy guy, <laughs> so sue me. Enjoy the podcast, everybody. So here's the question to you, then. The question to you is, do you like the, the 2D platform Marios, which are fantastic, like new Super Mario Brothers, or are you more of a fan of the 3D, like Super Mario Galaxy? Yes. I also like the role-playing series, the Mario and Luigi series. It starts with the uh, original Super Mario RPG on Super Nintendo. And I think Paper Mario. and I haven't played the Paper Marios, but I played three distinct experiences between 2D, 3D, and RPG, and mm-hmm. I really enjoy them all. I have a okay. hard time picking my favorite. I'd probably lean towards the RPG, followed by the 3D, but have a lot of fond memories of playing 2D as well, especially when it came out on the Wii, and you could go up to four players, and I could chuck people off cliffs and yeah. really ruin the experience for my friends. That was... One of the heights of Mario for me. This is also something that my wife really enjoys. She really got into playing Super Mario Galaxy is probably her favorite series. And the reason is you can be the second player and you just collect star bits and you can stun enemies, but you don't have to actually do anything uh, as far as controlling Mario, anything with any form of pressure, and you can't die, which is like her ideal way to play a video game. She's just there for the enjoyment and the assistance. And there's something to be said for that. It's a useful role. You're still a part of the experience. Phoenix and I have tried that, and it's uh, she. I think she got a little bored with being the second player. Mm-hmm. We'd alternate. She felt a little stressed out being first player yeah. and having the, <laughs> um, the weight of having our lives hanging over her head and was a little bored with the second player. So I think I'd love a multiplayer experience that's in those same veins, but maybe just something a little bit expanded for the second player. Fair enough, fair enough. And I, your number one is uh, there's no argument. Yeah, The no. Legend of Zelda. And you're probably going to mock me for this, but I've... Ported Zelda games over the years, and I have played very, very little of them. I've beaten the first one. I've been playing through a little bit of Twilight Princess because we talked about doing a Zelda um, podcast at some point. Mm-hmm. I played a bit of Breath of the Wild because I just couldn't resist. And other than that, I've owned, I have Wind Waker, all of the remastered ones I own. I've gotten through just about everything. The ones that I really haven't played are the handhelds. And I, I don't really count the handhelds. I guess I'm playing Link Between Worlds. It's one of the ones I played more of too, but to me, Zelda is all about the console experience. And it is. Like I had mentioned earlier, my first Zelda was actually the Game Boy Advance Link's Awakening, which is is kind of like an updated version of what would be the, uh, roughly the first one. Because Legend of Zelda 2, um, that's just, it's such an odd game. I mean, they do the overworld and they do the side-scrolling and it's hard as balls. I, I beat it here in probably 2006 and it was an absolute freaking slog. So happy they went away from that format. But Breath of the Wild, absolutely beautiful. And the cool thing about Breath of the Wild is they really go back to the old version of Zelda. Hey, here's a sword. Here's the open world. I'm not telling you shit. Go discover something. And there's people that, I know a lot of folks that play Skyrim and they're like, well, you know, I love this open world stuff, but I, I don't like it not having direction. It gives them anxiety not having a task. And it's I can really relate with that. I can relate with the overwhelmingness of the open world because it's a big place and there's oh, yeah. a lot to see. So it can be, I understand their trepidation there. I also, I hate the weapon breaking system. Like, it's just annoying. Like, yeah, it's not the end of the world. It doesn't ruin the game for me, but it's just like, I don't know. I, I can't Borderlands it up and give me 
very incremental increases in different weapons that do different things as opposed to just making me throw things away again and again. I came I came around to it more as the game went on, largely just due to the fact that it forces you to be varied in what you use. That's the only positive that I can see of it, that you're not using the exact same thing and cheesing the game. I get that. I think they could have found a better way to do it, but I also... I don't think it's the greatest game of all time. I think there's enough flaws in the game to say that it's a really solid game, but I think the number of 10s that it got from Metacritics is a little bit high, in my opinion. I thought it seemed so good, too. Great game, a lot of fun. You should definitely play it, but probably not the greatest game of all time. I would would agree. The only fact that they're saying that is because it's a Zelda title. You put anything else on that, they won't just have it. So that's my top five Nintendo franchises. Can can I mention something that you left out? Yeah, let's hit a couple rapid fire and try to keep it nice and tight. Okay, the the really, really quick, the ones that you're missing, the largest one in my opinion that you're missing is you're missing Metroid. And I know that you've played played Metroid. Yep, and Metroid is a massive, massive series in regards to influence on the entire industry itself. Wonderful game. It should be on here. I think Mario Kart might even be able to make the argument now that they're eight series in. And, it's and I've never been a huge Mario Kart fan. Like I enjoyed the Wii U, but mm-hmm. to me it was just okay. I like all the other franchises. In Donkey Kong Country, um, I, I think Donkey Kong Country would it maybe get around five, but I think it, it'd be if I had to move something out of your list, it'd only be the games I hadn't played. So I don't think that's totally fair. But uh, I think as far as the top five goes, it's pretty damn solid. Well, thanks, Brian. It's fun that you mentioned Metroid, because that is one of the primary reasons that I wanted to get a Super Nintendo Entertainment System Classic, mm-hmm. because I'd never played that. I'd never played The Legend of Mana, Secret of Mana, or Legend of Mana? Secret of Mana. Secret of, Secret of, Mana. of Mana. Those are two games that I know are classics that I just had never had an opportunity to play, and so I wanted a Super Nintendo Entertainment System Classic. Not enough to pre-order it or mm-hmm. stand in line. But I came pretty close to getting my hands on one. No. How did you acquire yours, Brian? <laughs> uh, I didn't think... I, I knew that there was going to be a strong push for the system due to what happened with the NES Classic. So Nintendo had out promised that they were going to increase the amount of production. So I was like, I wasn't very worried about getting a game uh, or a system. But I went to Target at, at 8 a.m. right at opening, maybe 10 minutes before. And by the time that I got there, there was already a line of 30 people. I did not expect that to have that kind of excitement for the system. And I expected the line to be hundreds of people long. And you texted to say you're going, and I'm like, you're wasting your freaking time. Yep. So I was number 32 in line for 54, and I was actually supposed to be picking Tom up a, a system. Hey, that's me. We talked about uh, it all morning. Uh, yes, and what wound up happening was there was a mom in line, and so there's a group of people that were going through the second time. Let's talk about the how it worked from that retail store's perspective for just a moment. So you went there, you lined up. What happened when you were in line? They were smart with how they did it. They came out with slips indicating that you are this number in line of 54, and you had to present the slip to get a system. Did they line you up inside in the electronics too, or once they opened up the doors, you could go wander around and then wait for it to die down a little bit? Uh, you Once you had the slip, you were guaranteed. So they gave you that before you even entered the door. And then what happened with the leftover systems? So as everyone had finished the line, uh, the Inquisition came up from the group, hey, is it possible for those of us that have already been through once, if there are no more of the uh, uh, folks waiting to get that first purchase, can we go through? And they said, yeah, no problem. We're going to start a line over here. Once everyone's through the line the first time, you guys can buy up the rest of the stock. So we got in line, and a mom came up with the kid, and she was waiting behind me. I already purchased one at this point. And it, you had. She had not. No, she had not. And it, it's her and her kid. And I'm like, you know what? You can you can skip this line. I mean, we've already gotten one. You can step up ahead of us here. And the there was some serious 
negative glances from the folks ahead of me waiting for their second one. I'm like, come on, folks. You, you already have one. People are making comments. Oh, why the F are you telling her that? It's like, dude, they, it's, it's a mom and her kid. It's okay. And karma, unfortunately, kind of worked against me here. It's not okay. I'm going to get $300 for this on Craigslist, yeah. you dick. You're not taking away my $300. You're stealing from me. This is America. That's essentially what wound up happening. So the woman jumps the line. I get a thank you from her, and I get a thank you from the kid, which is a good, warm moment. So we, we walk up to the line. I'm going through the second time now, and I count it out, and sure as shit, uh, because I had let the woman ahead of me, that means that the gentleman ahead of me got the last one. So Tom got screwed because of good karma. You're one person away from getting one for me. And I mean, I can't be too better because it was very nice of you to be willing to stand yeah. in line for me again. And Dude, it was a very noble thing that you did. So I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm not upset. It's just a bummer to be so close to getting my hands on one. You'll get one. They, again, they, the Nintendo of America was very specific. like, hey, here's the deal. Don't buy from the scalpers. We have a ton more coming. So now this, a, a lot of, we're getting some blowback, a little bit from the scalpers who had bought all this stuff right away, and now they're finding out that they're holding on to multiple, multiple units that they may not be able to move whatsoever. <laughs> I don't know if I buy that. I mean, yeah, they're going to say there's going to be more, but they stopped production of the NES Classic so abruptly when there's still such a demand for it. I mm-hmm. think that's just a smokescreen. I think it's just trying to be out in front of the store and saying, oh yeah, there's going to be more, but... Eventually, they're going to stop, and they'll re-release it in a few years, maybe more titles, maybe more money, and eventually, yeah, I'll have one, but I don't think, I don't think I'm getting my hands on an SNES Classic this time around. Keep the faith, brother. Not one of my strong suits. Well, you have it. You had an opportunity to play it. You brought it over. I've mm-hmm. had an opportunity to play with it a little bit. What were the games that you were most excited about? The lineup is really, really strong. One of the bonuses that they're trying to offer was an unreleased Star Fox 2 game, which is just a dumpster fire, so that, that there's no interest there anyways. I was very interested in having Final Fantasy 3, so American 3, Japanese 6, um, on the console. I was actually really, really interested in having another copy of Earthbound. Secret of Man, I've already played through once, but it's an RPG where you can have two players play at the same time. Which is incredibly appealing for me. I'd love to yeah. share it with Phoenix. How many games can you... Even now, there isn't many games that are like that, and you can have up to three players for it, so that was pretty awesome. And then overall, the fact that you could be doing flash saves with the system was a really, really useful feature. And I mean, if we just kind of look through the box itself, I mean, Legend of Zelda's on there, Super Metroid is on there, um, Mario Brothers is on there. There's only a couple of titles that I would have would hope that we could have had on in addition, but I think they nailed the core lineup of the Super Nintendo to a beautiful degree. And having never had a Super Nintendo myself, I was pretty excited to play some of these classics that I'd never played before. Like Contra, you know, whatever. Street Fighter, I played. Everyone played Street Fighter on some console. How many, console how many versions of that are out even? Well, I was pretty excited to play, especially the Metroid, and replay the Marios and replay Mario RPG. And mm-hmm. There are some games that I was really excited about. What were a couple of the low points for the games list for you? Um, I've never been a huge fan of Kirby. There's two Kirby selections on there. And, and I've knows? never really played a Kirby. I played a little bit of one on the Wii, the, uh, what's the yarn one? Kirby's Epic Yarn. Which was really, I, I didn't even get through that whole game because it got, it, it obviously was made for children. I enjoyed it. Phoenix and I were playing it and we, uh, we really liked it. But then we got the Wii U and we stopped playing Wii games and we just never went back to it. We gave that game to one of my godchildren, my friend John, uh, his daughter. And how many godchildren do you have? Like 15, Seven. 20? 
I have seven godchildren. And I just don't understand. Like, Brian, we've been friends for a very long time. I don't understand why people would want you caring for their children in case the awful and horrible happens. If you don't have children and you have a decent paying job, I think they just assume that you can afford the gifts. I think that's honestly the way that it goes. And I don't know how you have five or six and then someone offers you to be a godparent and you just say, no, I don't want your child. Like, what's... There's no protocol for this. So if you have a yet unborn child and are looking for a godfather, why don't you email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com and Brian would be happy to review your application to see if he could add to his stable. He's, uh, he's starting with a full basketball lineup. That's the first goal, but he'd eventually like to have his own starting 11 for a football team. Oh, my God. But we, we wound up giving Epic Yarn to Lydia, who is who's my friend John, and you know John, one of his, uh, his, his oldest daughter, and she... Loves it, and every time she beats a boss, she would just get so giddy and so excited. So there's the fact that how old was she at the time? Oh my God, maybe five. I probably had similar feelings and emotions when you defeated the dragon. I don't know if I got to the dragon. (laughs) (laughs) So it's uh, the Kirby series wasn't a really huge thing for me. I'll probably play a little bit of Contra 3, but you and I ran through that today, and, and there's there's some gameplay there You're just, that just does not hold up well. Star Fox is, Star Fox is a train wreck. <laughs> you go back to Star play. Fox is a turn. Are you talking about one or two or just One? Like, I can't tell what I'm killing most of the time. You're like, look, Electric Slug. I think it's a ship, but you can't tell. It's, I don't know. And even playing... Mario Kart, which is a game that I had so much love for as a kid growing up, it, 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 it honestly is almost like nausea indu- inducing to kind of just see how that graphics interface works. And not from just being a snobbish standpoint, I mean, it, it's almost disorienting to, to play. Do you think part of the problem, I'm going to brag about my TV here for a second, do you think part of the problem is that we are playing on a 70-inch 4K TV as opposed to a 20-inch CRT TV? Or do you think it's just with the way graphics are now, there is no going back to an acceptable state of these games? I do think that as you magnify the size of the screen, it causes issues. Particularly the Donkey Kong Country was the one that we ran into. These are pre-rendered, but it almost becomes very pixelated once you expand the image so far. Now, this, the system itself, the NES Cla- or the Super Nintendo Classic, actually has a, a CRTV setting in, a, in an effect to try to help with that. But, I mean, it's, it, there's only so much that you can do. Some of those games hold up great. Punch-Out was beautiful. Yeah, Punch-Out uh, looked really Super good. Super Metroid was beautiful. And then some of the other ones, it, it's kind of tough. Yeah, it could be pretty rough. So there are some good games on there. I think we've covered the games that we haven't played before. So what games are notable omissions? And I know you have a list here, so why don't you lead this conversation? Uh, Chrono Trigger, um, absolutely. I mean, there's there really isn't a top 10 or top 5 RPG best of of list without Chrono Trigger. I don't, I don't understand how that's on there. And yes, Final Fantasy III is a landmark game, and it is still amongst... The, maybe the best Final Fantasy game ever released. But the was fact that the that, one with Cecil? Uh, yes. Dark Knight, wait. Dark Knight and Paladin, and then... No, 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 sorry. Final Fantasy three would be like Sabin and that group. Oh, I, um, I'm playing the one with Cecil now. Maybe that's four? I believe it would be. Um, Sabin, Sabin, once he suplexes the ghost train, might be one of the greatest moments of any form of video game. That's he, just a great sentence. Yep. Saban, once he suplexes the ghost train. He picks it up and like he just he throws it down. It's a it's a speeding locomotive, but he is he is Arnold incarnate and it's wonderful. And the fact that 
that game's on, but Chrono Trigger didn't make it. Kind of makes me sad. I, I really wish we would have seen Final Fight uh, via Capcom. That was one of the first beat 'em ups, and that that game was a big staple for the Super Nintendo when it came out, due to the fact that that was an almost exact arcade port, which was really important because Sega was putting out ports of arcade games to Nintendo to catch up. And I can't remember. I think in my head I'm blurring the lines between Final Fight and Fists of Rage or Streets of Rage. Streets of Rage was a Sega Genesis um, I played a game. lot of that yep. game. That was a lot of fun. Back Final Fight day. was Hagar, Cody, and Guy. So you would see them again, all of them really, in the Street Fighter series. Mm-hmm. Hagar actually is in Street Fighter, or sorry, most of Capcom Infinite now. So he's still running around. And maybe the best beat-em-up of all time, Turtles in Time. I, I really wish that would have made it. Uh, it. It was the preeminent port of that game was on the Super Nintendo. Was that the best Turtles game of all time? Because I've always been a big Turtles fan. Donatello was my guy. But they've had kind of a rough gaming history. Um, I think it, it probably has to be. Um, the arcade God. game was pretty fun, but you know, playing it now, it's, it's rough. Those arcade games are designed to be quarter sucks and... I mean, it's fun to play with four players, and it's a short experience, and when you play it on Xbox Live, you can, you have infinite lives, and mm-hmm. it's fun to just go through it, but overall, pretty rough. Yeah, the Turtles in Time was really, really good. They, they, in 2009, uh, they redid the game, which was just terrible. To this day, my younger brother Greg and I, every Thanksgiving, we will get together, have a few cocktails at the house, and we will go through that game on hard every single year. What's the uh, drink of choice for that, or does it alternate oh, to God. Uh, typically, at that point of the night, it's just whatever we have left over. To, I think it's usually gin. So awesome. it begins. Yeah, big glass of gin yeah. and Ninja Turtles. Starting to smell a little bit like Christmas. You <laughs> so the dream, my move friend. Move from there. Um, but I really, I mean, that those are those are the big ones that I wish would have really made it on the system. You but, also mentioned Illusions of Guile as we were talking before. Yeah, that's and that's an RPG that I never really played too much of. But most of the folks that I know that were playing the Final Fantasies, they're playing the Chrono Triggers, those kinds of games at that time. That was a fairly large series. I don't have much interaction with it, um, but I know it's it's viewed very lovingly in the RPG community. Interesting. I've never really. If I've heard of it, I don't recall it. I definitely mm-hmm. never played it, so I guess it would have been fun to get my hands on that at some point. So we've talked about the games. We've talked about what's on it, what's not on it. But let's talk about the experience and the system itself. Like, we fired it up today. You've had it for a couple of weeks now. How does the system work? What is your What are your feelings and overall impressions from the system? I like it. Uh, it's very small. It is. It's very, very small. I mean, you're probably looking at something... Like a brick of tofu. Oh, well, depending on how you cut the brick, yes. <laughs> um, what, what would be comparable in size? It would be a very small box. Um, it's maybe only five inches by five inches, but it's it's like... And Brian is familiar with the di- diameter of five inches. Diameter was the wrong word. I just read my own joke. My friend is tremendously well endowed. Congratulations, Brian. This isn't going to make the actual podcast. I guarantee you that. <laughs> so anyways, um, it's it's a wonderful little replica box. It comes with two controllers. Uh, Nintendo did learn a little bit of their lesson from the NES Classic, which came with an abysmally small controller length, uh, the cord that is, of three feet. So, I mean, you really had to be on top of the system. This one's six feet, so it's a little bit of, or five feet somewhere in there. It's a little bit of an easier experience. You can load the 21 games, uh, hit the button, I mean, it boots right in. There is no form of lag. It's a beautiful thing in that regard. But it's and, just like a horizontal line of 21 games. I feel yeah. like maybe they should have done a grid or something other than just one line of all the games. I thought that was kind of a questionable choice. I think, 
I can see the gray would probably have been a better choice, but had they had more games in the 21, I think it would have been a necessity here. It would just be something that was more optimal. Um, they also made some questionable decisions with like to be, if, if you want to exit the game and do a flash save, um, which is great. Save states are awesome. Or if you want to just start a new game, you actually have to physically hit the reset button on the system. So that kind of gets to be a little bit old. Because so you have a six foot controller cable and you got, if you're sitting six feet away from your system, you have to actually get up. So you basically, yeah. you want the system right next to you when you're playing. Yeah, which also means that you have to have a longer HDMI to be handling that kind of a spatial situation. A very cool feature on the game, which I don't think I even told you about, as you're playing that game, it records everything you do for about 60 seconds. So say you're playing Mega Man X, or say you're playing Mario, something with a little bit more of a precise jump timing, and you're failing at something, you can stop it, reset it 30, 60 seconds, it'll pull you back to where you were at that time, and you can try the area again. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, with games that are Nintendo hard, that seems like it must almost be a necessity. Uh, depending on there's some there's some jumps particularly in Mega Man X that are are very exact. Nintendo hard is one thing. For Super Nintendo, yeah, games were difficult, but I don't think anything compares to the issues that we had with like Nintendo. Just for the fact that you know when you scroll the screen, uh, say you back up two feet like a Ninja Guy Den and go forward again. Whatever you just killed, the second you scrolled it off screen and went back, it's back, and that's just that's due to technological constraints. Uh, that's that's exactly it, but. We figured out ways to beat it. <laughs> like we had nothing else to do, so we will just brute force this thing through muscle memory. You mentioned the save states, and I thought that was a pretty handy feature yeah. on the system. Each game has four essentially save slots for it, so you can mm-hmm. hit the reset button at any point in your game, and you can save to one of those four slots. You can always be building, or you can have multiple people playing through on different games and each have their own save slot. And I just thought it was a very handy and elegant way to handle saves with the system. Yeah, and it's it's easy, it's quick. I do really wish they had built something into the controller to allow us to access that from the controller itself, but um, they started introducing a lot of the, the... Like a save button on the controller just makes too much sense, right? It does. Like, as opposed to having to get up and go over to your system, like just having one little button somewhere for your save state, but then they lose the authenticity of that's the Super exactly Nintendo it. controller. And that's what I think it was. I think it was an issue of being authentic. Um, I know that... They kind of introduced the save state stuff on the Wii U gamepad. So when you're doing games, uh, again, Mega Man X, I had played on the Wii U gamepad initially, Earthbound, same thing. And the ability to, to set up a save state on there was very quick, very easy. And I honestly think it's probably a better, it's a better experience on the Wii U. But at the same time, you're also having to build quite the gaming uh, library if you want to have what you get in this one singular system. Uh, how about the controller? Like, I've never had a Super Nintendo, so I can't don't have a great comparison. It's also been at least 20 years since I've held a Super Nintendo controller. It felt like the same thing to me. It looked like the same thing. It had the same buttons on it. But as a former Super Nintendo owner, how, how do you feel about the controller? It's sturdy and exact. That's exactly what you want it to be. And with some of these games and the platformers that Nintendo puts out, they, they do want a lot of specific button input. Donkey Kong Country is an excellent example of it. The controller holds up very, very well. There's no looseness to it. There are times where... The A button works, so that's a big plus. The A button works. Uh, my, there's friends of mine that were like, why would you even buy this? You can just do it with an emulator. But to be honest, I've had issues with emulators and, and exact control. And I would rather have something that I know is going to be rock solid all the way around because it was actually built with the intent 
to work with this kind of game than having to do all the troubleshooting myself because that looks cool. Yeah, I'm just I'm not up for the extra effort. I'm here to sit down. I want to disengage from whatever the hell I'm doing. I want minimal setup time and I want to just play. That's what I want. Do you think you'll be playing it primarily on your own or is it more of a social thing for you? Because I'm primarily a single gamer. Unless Phoenix wants to play something with me, like I am 99% a solitary gamer. I would probably say that I am very similar to how you are. The wife, though, will join me. If I'm playing a Super Mario game, if I'm playing Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, she will sit there and she will watch and socialize and help me figure out clues. We can play eight hours at a time and she is with me. The second I put in something that has a gun and is in any form of a first person capacity, she's done. So huh. it's it's just kind of what her sweet spot is. So, and a real quick shout out to our wives. They're both just terrific people. We both did very well for ourselves. We outkicked our coverage. That's very clear. <laughs> so your overall impressions on the system? Are you still super stoked to have it? Do you have any regrets about buying it? Do you think it's going to be sustained? excitement for playing it or what are your takeaways on the system my thought is when i got the system if there was three or four games that i would enjoy playing all the way through i was essentially paying and getting my money back sure because it was a 70 dollars system right 80 dollars 70 85 with tax so i know i'm going to be playing through all of super mario world with my wife um i will be playing through all of final fantasy 3 again and i have never played a super mario rpg and from everybody that I've talked to, it's a fantastic experience. Don't get your hopes too high, but it's a lot of fun. I, I, I've heard from enough folks that the game will keep you entertained. And it was produced by Square, I believe. And at that time, Square could do no wrong. I mean, Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy, Super Mario RPG. This, was, this is when they could not make a bad game. So I'm very much looking forward to the experience. And... I will likely be paying, playing through Earthbound again. We played that again last year, and that was such a good time. I think I have to go through it a second time. We both have a number of friends that we've talked to about the Super NES Classic with varying degrees of interest in it. Do you think that they should rush out and buy it if they can get their hands on it, or do you think, you know, maybe not? If it's a list, if you can find four to five games in that list that is something that you'd want to play through from beginning to end, I think it's definitely worth the purchase. I think if you're a little bit more tech-savvy than me and you can get a good emulator and you can you can Bluetooth up the controller and make it very effective setup, I, I don't that really think you need it. doesn't sound like a lot of my friends. No, but we have enough of our friends uh, on, on my end that you know of, particularly, again, John, who kept telling me this was a stupid purchase. Why would you just get an emulator? Well, John, I don't have a background in computers. So you just it, paid him 80 bucks for nostalgia. Yeah, that's, a, that's pretty much it. If you don't have that skill set, I mean, this is an awesome trip down memory lane, man. And this this is the golden period of games. I think it's fairly well uh, argued at this point that 16-bit really, really was one of the strongest lineups that we saw in video game history. And going it through it, definitely it a big up. evolution. Oh my God, it's it holds up well. It holds up well. Well, there you have it. Brian says you should rush out, go to your local Target, Best Buy. Sam's Club, what have you, go get yourself an SNES Classic. Push down a child, don't let the mother ahead of you in line, and have yourself a good time. Yeah, make sure Tom gets his. So you want to move on to some uh, fan emails here, big guy? Absolutely. So starting off, my friend Mike has a question, which ties directly to the SNES Classic. He asks, are the games straight ports, or have they been changed in any fashion? From what I can tell, the games are all just straight ports. 
I know there are some games where there is some difference from itinerations between Japanese and what was released here in the United States. And to my knowledge, this entire thing is authentic for the original North American releases. Does that include graphics, or have graphics been tweaked to try to match current technology? Nope, graphics are, the fidelity of the graphics, I'd say, are pretty much what you remember it to be for all that is good with that thought process and all that is negative with that thought process. That was our only serious question, so I hope you enjoyed that. Moving on to the rest <laughs> of our fan mail. You're going to like this one. Wrath of Dong 69. All right. <laughs> This is a guy I can like. Wrath of Dong 69 writes, No Super NES collection is complete without Super Noah's Ark 3D. Do you think the SNES classic suffers without the ability to tranquilize animals 2x2? Two two? Oh, God. Yeah, that game you play as Noah. That and was you're actually holding. Yes. Oh, my you, God. I didn't... I mean, we had this question, so I'm reading it, but yeah, I thought it was completely... You're you know, holding a slingshot, and I'm pretty sure it's the same... Noah had a slingshot? Yes, and it... Are you sure it wasn't David? It's Noah. And what happened in the game is they, it's basically like you're playing through Wolfenstein and you fire your slingshot and it puts the animals to sleep. And that's it was built off the Wolfenstein engine. And yeah, I'm 99% sure that exists because I've seen it played. So is, does the classic suffer without its inclusion? I mean, is this a staple of gaming history that should be preserved and perpetuated to future cultures? Honestly, any time that you can take the Bible and put it into an electronic and consumable medium, I think you've got a winning recipe. Top of the sales charge for certain. <laughs> God. Hello, endorsement. You must choose to either have the ability to breathe underwater or become invisible. However, any water that you breathe, if you choose the first option, any water that you breathe will taste like urine. I don't, I'm not really familiar with breathing having a taste, but I digress. Alternatively... For as long as you remain invisible, your skin will itch like it has broken out in terrible hives. Which do you choose? The ability to breathe underwater or become invisible? I'll let you take this first. I think the urine really turns me off on the breathing. Like, it'd be a cool ability to be able to breathe underwater because you could just, you know, hang out underwater all day, get all pruney. That sounds pretty bitchin', right? Um, but becoming invisible, there's so much utility for that, like... I think I would have to choose invisible hives and all. I think you're probably right, because we can all agree Aquaman sucks. So Although he looks pretty badass in Justice League. By the way, this email comes from Scott in Roseville, Minnesota. Alright, so I would say that the German inside of me really likes the idea of tasting urine for most of the day. But I don't see the utility of it, so I would have to go with you, Tom. The, the ability to be invisible would just lead to a numerous amount of trolling scenarios that I want to be a part of. But how many times have I told you to leave Franz at home when we're doing this podcast? Do you have the German inside you right now? <laughs> All four inches. Next up, we have Casey in Monomita. He asks a relatively simple question, which does tie back to Nintendo. Casey writes, marry one, F1, kill one. Princess Peach... I assume it's Peach because he just said Princess. But okay. Princess, Samus, or Chun-Li? Marry one, F1, kill one. Peach is dead. I mean, that's pretty clear because Chun-Li's got those thighs. So, Peach is dead. Samus, I would marry because she's got stable income as her work as a bounty hunter, and I would definitely do Chun-Li. Interesting. Well, I'd probably marry Samus. I like the adventurous lifestyle. There you go. Uh, going to see other planets, busting Metroids, or whatever the hell else you do in Metroid, because I've never played the series, but mm. she's blonde, right? Yeah. Big plus. <laughs> that's enough. That's enough for you. 
<laughs> so Mary Samus, uh, princess, also a blonde, so I guess she'd be the F. I have an affinity. And sorry, Chun-Li, but you're kind of the odd one out. What happens when she lightning kicks your balls? It won't happen. She'll be dead. <laughs> Game over, Chun-Li. So thank you so much to everyone who wrote it. We do really appreciate it. It's much more fun to actually read things that people wrote rather than just making it up. So thank you very much to... Wrath of Dong 69, Scott in Roseville, Casey in Mato Midai, and our friend Mike. That does it for the fan mail. If you have any questions or thoughts or something you'd like us to talk about on a future episode of Outside is Overrated, send us an email at overratedpod at gmail.com. That's overrated with two R's, pod at gmail.com. Or hit me up on Twitter at Tom underscore underscore awesome. Don't forget that second underscore. I hate one underscore Tom awesome. That guy's a dick. Or follow the show on Facebook.com slash Outside is Overrated. And if you enjoy the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you told someone else to download it or just go onto their phone and click subscribe and let's get some momentum going for this show because, you know, I really like it and the more people were listening and texting me when the hell is the next one to come out, you know, they might not be six, seven, eight months in between. Clearly Tom's own internal drive to be great isn't all that great, so any kind of outside motivation that can be produced is well needed. Thank you. Yeah, and, you know, Mike sent me a Punisher bobblehead, so I feel obligated to keep doing the show for him. So we have a couple minutes left here before we call it a day, Brian, and I have two key questions that I would like us to discuss. Okay. Number one, are old games fun anymore? And B, should people waste their time on a classic or should they play a PS4? I guess that's kind of a negative. But should we only have so much time, especially as adults with jobs and wives and families and all the other obligations in life. Our time is a very finite resource. Should people play classics that they've never played before or enjoyed back in the day or should someone be playing Metal Gear Solid 5 on PlayStation 4? I think good gameplay and good game design is something that does not age poorly. I just don't think so. Um, take, for example, uh, Wind Waker. Still a beautiful game. Art style was done in a very unique way. Okami is another game like this where these hold up well, even we're talking a decade later. I don't know. Okami had like a 20-minute opening cutscene. That was rough. Metal Gear Solid has a 30-minute opening cutscene. What are you complaining about? And I do feel that Metal Gear Solid is the greatest game made today. So I guess my feelings are kind of conflicted because I do have some nostalgia for classic games. And I fired up the Sega last night and I was all excited to check out Road Rash and to check out Separation Anxiety. And I picked up at some point Spider-Man and X-Men at a thrift store. And I was excited and I fired them up and, oh man, it's rough. Like, those games will always have a special affinity in my heart, but I don't know if I can go back to them. I think it really does. Sometimes games... And music can be this way too. Games sometimes remind me of a time and a place. And there are some times that I play a game only because I want to be connected and remember that time and place. Do you remember, you know, your freshman year in college? Do you remember what it was like growing up, you know, in the early 90s when you really had no responsibility and was, is, you could just, everything was there for you in the taking in the future. And these are how we connect to those times is by reliving some of the experiences that we experienced the first time through those times. Um, it is different, particularly like I played Chrono Trigger here in the last couple of months and, and playing a game that I don't have that connection to, but I can still tell you that I derive a lot of enjoyment out of seeing where so many of these concepts from the games that I love now, where they were then. And, and in that way, I think those games hold up well. But like you said, there are games that I remember with great fondness and you go back and there's some warts that you don't remember. Indeed. And I mean, it's not all games. I've 
I'm playing Final Fantasy IV now for the first time on my portable Final Fantasy machine, the PlayStation Vita. And it's it's awesome. It's a good story. I'm really enjoying it. I mean, it's there are elements of it that are maybe a little clunky, but overall, it's great. For me, though, I really I have such a hard time going back to old games. Like, there's so many things out now in the current systems that it's just it's difficult for me to deal with those warts. How do you think that people younger than us, because we're both in our mid thirties, mm-hmm. um, how do you think the next generation is going to view things like the NES Classic, the Super NES Classic, and all of the accessible ways that you can get into old games without the nostalgia factor. I think they're going to look at it the exact same way that I look at some of the old Atari games in the Intellivision. Just, okay, this is old. Yeah, exactly. I have no connection to this. There's no relation to me. This has never been a part of my upbringing. I don't see the interest for it. Though, I will say this with a slight caveat, regardless of, of time, there are certain games that hold up tremendously well, one of which... Super Mario Brothers, particularly Super Mario World, I've got nephews that are of the age of four, five, six, that you put that game in, and they will pound through that entire game, and that game is 20 years old, and they they love it. World was the SNES, correct? Uh, yes, it was. Well, it's interesting, and, it, you know, there's so many great games out there now, and there's so many nostalgic experiences. It's just, it's funny how we choose to spend our time mm-hmm. with different devices, I think this has been a fun conversation. I appreciate you taking the time to bring your classic over since you gave mine away. Thank you so much for ruining everything. You're welcome. Um, Do you have any other thoughts on maybe retro gaming before we kick it out the door here? No, I I do think that retro gaming can be quite a bit of fun. And one thing that that I've been enjoying more as of late is there's a little bar here in Uptown in the Twin Cities called Uptown where there's a lot of arcade games as a kid that I never got a chance to beat because I had no money. I was a broke kid. But to go back and to beat some of these games and to kind of go through and see these levels that you never got a chance to see because you were broke before the end of level three, it is fun to go back and relive some of that stuff once in a while. Yeah, there's something to be said for nostalgia. Well, it's been a good time, Brian. Thanks for bringing over the classic. It's been a fun discussion of Nintendo, Nintendo versus Sega and the SNES Classic. Thank you so much, everyone, who took the time to listen, especially all the way through to the end. That's a tremendous commitment, and we appreciate it greatly. So thanks for listening. We hope to catch you next time. Stay inside, folks. Tom. So yeah. is it court? It's not quarterback club. It wouldn't be John Madden. Nope. It was before both of those. It was um, NFL quarterback club. Nope. Um, really? Gosh, I can't remember. I think I have it at my parents' house too. The rest of my Sega games are here. Sega Genesis football games. NFL football '94. Bill Walsh college football. Tecmo Super Bowl. Mutant League football. Joe Montana football. More Bill Walsh. He had a game. Huh. NFL '95. Wasn't an NFL game. He said, well, well, what? Okay, so Troy Aikman, NFL, College Football USA, Pigs. No, that's not it. I don't know. It's a mystery.